Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk Hey, that's that's really bad. Heartbreaking in some sense, probably not a fun watch for anybody. I watched it with my good friend Blake Murphy, who also covers the Raptors, the Maple Leafs, the Blue Jays, basically every sport, but has the longest history covering the Raptors, can still chop it up about them, evidently. Um, Blake, how you doing? Thoughts on the game right away? No idea what you're talking about. Uh, this is a Liberty household. This is a Jays household. Uh, we'll see in two weeks if this is a Leafs household or not. Uh, but for the night, not a Raptors. That sucked, man. Like that was, I mean, I thought the worst case scenario for these playing games was win and look good today and then lose on Friday. Kind of that that tease, that bait and switch. Uh, I take it back. This was going up 20 and then blowing it because or 19, whatever the, the largest lead was, and blowing it because you shoot Shaq career free throw percentage as a team. And I mean, going cold from three, we could have at least expected. But the free throws, like... It's overreductive to just be like, make your free throws and you win that game. But this is like an extreme, extreme free throw outlier. And it's just like, I don't know. I think it's a, it's a f- kind of a fitting bow in that they played really well at times and they did some things really well. And they just couldn't get out of their way with the most basic of execution. Uh, it sucked. This was worse than winning today and losing Friday, for sure. It's because you expect to, not only was it going well, but it was going well for the guys who had probably had the most scrutiny over the course of the season. And while the fandom doesn't really impact the guys on the floor to that degree, there's like a narratives coming together that it seemed like it was progressing in a positive way after the Raptors had an overtly negative season. And then basically they have maybe the most negative outcome that possibly could have happened. We'll talk more about it, um, kind of what went right and what went wrong. Um, but first of all, this is the Raptors Reaction Podcast. I'm Errol Samson Folk, and it is, of course, brought to you by Goldfinger Law. The big thing with them you only pay if you win. The The advantages are obvious. If you lose, hey, you had your kick at the can, you do your thing, and you don't pay anything. And if you win, you're, you're probably all right with paying something, whatever whatever you were trying to make happen. It's similar to how NBA contracts work in the, the play-in and the playoff. Uh, you, you only get paid if you win. So yeah. uh, there's no extra contract money or anything like that, just playoff shares. And I don't believe you get any playoff share for losing a playing game. So Goldfinger Law, MLSE. Not not paying anything unless you get a W. Yeah, it's a it's a liminal space. It it only exists there. And if you're interested, four one six seven three zero one triple seven. So the Raptors obviously are not moving on. But the two biggest things that I think stand out that everybody will want addressed: the Raptors hit eighteen free throws. The Bulls hit eighteen free throws. The Raptors took thirty six to the Bulls twenty two. The Raptors also started out shooting really well from three seven of fifteen, I believe. They made four of their next 16. Zach Levine from about three or four minutes left in the third quarter took over the game. DeMar DeRozan, I think, had between six and eight points down the stretch. They were able to create offensive looks. The Raptors, to some degree, could. 
but it was with Pascal Siakam who got the looks. Unfortunately, went five for 11 from the free throw line in this game, which is, it's heartbreaking because he had such a good game. Like the raw numbers, 32, nine and six on 60% shooting. It's an insane game. It should have been a feather in his cap, but having the opportunity, much like Mike Conley did at the end of the Lakers Minnesota game to tie the game up with three free throws, not two of three, but he goes one of three. And it's just really hard to stomach that. And Pascal, when we talk to him tomorrow, I'm sure we'll have thoughts on it. He'll probably have thoughts on it after this game, but it's it's a really tough thing to stomach. What went well for the Raptors? I won't dwell on this too long because, you know, it, it didn't go well the whole game. But starting off initiating through Pascal, many of the different preview pieces that came out suggested that, be it, you know, Caruso, Pat Will, however it shakes out guarding Pascal, if the Raptors can assert their dominance through his offense, things will go well. They did. He was able to get to his spots. The mid-range jumper was working. The passes out, like one pass away off the double, because teams are doubling from the top, not the bottom. It's the threes were made early on. Eventually, the water got turned off, and the Raptors turned to a more Fred Van Vliet-led offense, and the Bulls actually started switching the 1-5 pick and roll. And Fred, despite having like a really good game shooting from three, he had, what, seven threes in this game? Mm-hmm. Seven threes, like seven of 13, yes. I believe. Yeah, seven of 13. Like, that's really great, but he went, he only hit one of his shots inside the arc, so one of nine. And being put on an island with Vooch, not only do you want him to be able to put a little bit more pressure on the rim and make those shots, but also to be able to turn the defense to create better looks outside of that. It did stagnate, and especially without Pascal on the floor. And on the other side of things, Levine started to get it cooking. The Raptors also turning the ball over. That was Pascal above the break, turning the ball over. Scotty getting downhill, turning the ball over. Fred, entry passes, turning the ball over. And the Bulls, this was the worry. This is what's happened in the other games where the Bulls held it close in the regular season or actually won way back in November was that they got turnovers and they were able to run out. Because in the half court, it is down to, like the Raptors had their scheme. They had the way they wanted to play against the Bulls. Against DeMar, I think they did an excellent job tonight. but juggling between Scotty and Fred and I guess for a couple possessions but not really too you know uh, there's not a lot of sample um Pascal not being able to put turn the water off on Levine was probably the most harmful second to the lack of free throw making because basically you go to the free throw line and even if you shoot what is it like 50% the hack shack stuff it's still technically good offense on a well, point not anymore because right. we're in an era where give us through the roof and the Sacramento Kings are, you know, the greatest offense of all time. I think you have to make about 57% of your free throws for it to match like a league average offense. But that's still a really low bar. Yeah. Solo, in fact, while I, what I was looking up here, no team all season shot that poorly on free throws with that many free throw attempts. It has only happened nine times in the history of the NBA playoffs. I know play in don't count as playoffs. But if it did, it would be only the 10th time. The whole history of the league, a team got that many free throw attempts and did that little with them. Oy vey. Do you and have I a- would imagine most of those teams employed like hack-a-shack type dudes. So that's kind of the thing is like even the hack of Pirtle stuff that we saw, Pirtle was still in the realm of providing decent offense if that was the case. Having guys like Fred, I believe he shot... I think he went 50%. Scotty was four of seven. OG was three of eight. Pascal was five for 11. 
Gary, I don't know if he got to the line, but he was 0-5 from three. Just the touch evaporated for for everybody. Do you have any other interesting statistics no, for us? So Scotty was four of seven. Him and Precious at two of two were the only guys who shot better than fifty percent. That's real bad. That's man. Precious was actually good in this game, I thought. But yeah, it's 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 tough. Do you have any do you have any positive insights on this game? Not particularly. I thought, you know, OG did as good a job on DeMar as you can really do. There were some plays where he'd probably like it back. And I know that one on Levine in the clutch where he kind of bumped him out of bounds baseline. And I think he thought he had forced Zach out of bounds naturally. Um, You see the cost, though, of like when you like OG on DeMar is the right call. DeMar is the toughest check on that team. OG is the guy best equipped to guard him. And I think you're still happy with what OG did. Um, But it means someone else has to guard Zach Levine. And that was not something that anyone was really up for. I maybe would have tried switching OG to that a little earlier just to see. But honestly, the way the rest of the defense played in the second half, it probably just would have meant DeMar got cooking. Um, No, I mean, positive. They played well for some of the game, I guess. I, I thought... Scotty, at least offensively, looked like assertive still and, and had a couple moments late. But mostly, I don't think there's much you can take positive from a 19-point collapse in a in a must-win where not only is your defense abandoned you late, but like you can't hit anything. And I, I don't think I don't think the how of this is anything new, anything we haven't talked about or prepared for. It's just pretty dramatic to contrast the first half to the second half, especially when you think of that Fred three to end yeah. at the buzzer to go into the break up 11. It's like, man, really, it really was everything in the first half went as well as you could have hoped. And everything in the second half went as, as poorly as you could have hoped. So you could take whatever positives or negatives you want, but I don't know. I'm watch the game. I'm looking at the box score. It's tough to be too enthused with, with just about anything other than the small, like, you know, process side stuff that OG and Scotty showed or Fred VanVleet's first half. Yeah, it's and even with the defensive switch, like putting him on Levine, um, Demar was scoring more late than Levine was, mm-hmm. and that's that's professional scoring. The third quarter, though, someone yeah, they had they've had to find a way to turn that off, and they didn't. Yeah, and that's like that's professional scoring is that Demar didn't because the Raptors could have won this game if Demar didn't get those straight line drives, the free throws, like the the hard finishes late that we saw a lot of, like when he was playing in Toronto, that hasn't quit. He's still able to create from a standstill. And just the fact that like he he had the water turned off all game. OG was doing a great job. And the moment like it eked open, he had opportunities. He he scored on them. He was super efficient. But the Raptors, I think the the defensive process was fine. It was good. I think they did as good a job as they could. You're going to have breakdowns and all that kind of stuff. But the fact that they gave them so many looks in transition with the turnovers. How many turnovers did they finish with in the second half? Like it was 10 at one point. Yeah, they finished with 14 for the game. And I know it was at least double digits in the second half. Yeah. So they, they were pretty clean in the first half. And, and so not being able to limit the turnovers. And a lot of them watching the game, obviously I'll rewatch it and we'll have a piece about this, maybe a breakdown video. But just watching the game, like some of these are really, really unforced turnovers, either from guys being a little bit too bold in what they think they can create, or perhaps dribbling themselves into more dangerous positions than they need to be in. And like that, that's really tough. And the Raptors, it's you don't want to say that. What's this? Patrick Beverly apparently ran past Bobby Webster's. Bobby Webster was walking to the Raptors locker room and said, I knew they were F word trash. I don't know if you swear on this. You're such a wholesome boy. I don't swear. For I think I think like I'll say hell, I'll, heck. I'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam he said, Heck. He's, Patrick Beverly said he knew they were heck and trash. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Um, 
yeah, what's the gosh? <laughs> yeah, going to heck for saying gosh. Anyway, uh, Patrick that, Beverly. That's kind of embarrassing, though. Like you're you were up on up nineteen on that team, and they barely beat you, and they're talking that kind of smack. You you can't feel good. And some of these quotes that are coming out, and I don't want to do the sit here and read Twitter, but it, the energy is poor. Well, the, and that's the thing, right? Is that we talked about maybe the Raptors finding it's like Mad Max, you know both he and the Imperator Furios are looking for like redemption. They they know that things are like bad and you can't fix the past, but it's like you want to redeem. And the Raptors, it looked like they were at least on that path or giving themselves a step more to get to the playoffs to try and pursue so, some more meaning, but it fell apart. And giving Patrick Beverly, who would he score four points in this game maybe? Three, three points because he had the one corner three. That was... You know, clutch. He was one for five in the game, but allowing him to kind of dance around your limp, dead body is not ideal at all. What do you make of, like, obviously, we're going to focus on Pascal and Fred and those guys. They played the bulk of the minutes, they were out for the closing minutes. One of the things we had teed up, not together, but separately heading into this one, was that, yeah, both starting fives were really, really good. The Bulls went a little more comfortably to their six, seven, eight, nine. Um, those transitional unit minutes were heavy bulls win. Um, not to say that, it, like, I don't mean that in any way, like a silver lining, like, oh, the Raptors starters outplayed them. Like, you lost the game. That sucks. But that, to me, felt like the most common thing down the stretch, where even when they were playing better, that was so inconsistent or would abandon them. And that's one I know we'll do, like, postseason pods and stuff, but, like, that's a a thing that's hard to project how to fix when – you haven't drafted and developed well and you don't have a lot of assets or cap space or anything like that. that well, that's, that's the tough thing is that the Raptors, you look at the starting five, they win their minutes, they're good, but they're good enough to win a lot of the minutes, but ultimately not the game in the 9-10 play-in. And if they bring everybody back, that's luxury tax. That's the thing about the team that's like, oftentimes these things aren't rewarded. Like these, these aren't these types of teams aren't kept together, but you know, I, and I guess probably you were wanting to say that Jeff Downton Jr. would have been the salve to uh, completely fix. Yeah, uh, um, he would he would have been on Zach. You know, probably would have been honestly like it's going to be killer next year when he's on the Bulls and him, Caruso, and Beverly are just like the best point of attack defense in league history, and they win games sixty to fifty eight. Um, and they, they give Chris Dunn a flyer. Of Maybe course. Through the season. Hey, he yeah. looks good for Utah down the stretch, man. He can shoot a little bit now. Yeah. The dream, there there is a light that never goes out. Yeah. And it's uh its name is Chris Dunn. Do you want to do you normally yell at children on this on this podcast? Because that seems to be the popular Twitter thing after this one too. Oh, because free throws, are. Okay, so we'll give for anybody who was watching and wondering where the there was some screaming during free throws. I don't think it had. Yeah, we have a picture. You can put it on screen. Um, Thanks to Keeks from TSM. Exactly. The stat queen, Keeks. So uh, she was screaming during all the free throws. That was actually Damar's daughter for anybody who wanted that information. And for anyone who just saw a person and you vaguely recognized, like, hey, I think I remember seeing that person five years younger. It's kind of like um, if there was like a, a child actor who pops up somewhere, you're like, what the hell? Do I know yeah, them from Tom and Roy on Succession? <laughs> so basically, the game didn't go well at all. Um, at least not overall. There were good things that happened. Did anything else stick out to you? Like, I guess we should probably pin down and talk about Scotty's performance because a lot of people, Scotty Barnes, I think 
came on strong at the end, although some errors in decision making and, you know, a lack of creation a little bit from a standstill. It would have, this is a guy who, I mean, he scored the most fourth quarter points in Raptors history over the course of the season. That doesn't make him the best fourth quarter player, probably on like a qualitative basis or anything like that, but he's been really great down the stretch for games. And as far as creating out of the pick and roll, he got a bit unlucky that when he turned the corner, Jakob Pertl got the moving screen. There were a couple of possessions where he held the ball and tried to force it into, you know, tight windows that didn't really translate into points but rather into a turnover or you know it just maybe it pops back out or something but what did you like from scotty yeah i I like the assertiveness i like that you know in addition to the pick and roll you described where scotty didn't do anything wrong on that one that was just kind of a, a a bad luck call at the team level um there was obviously the the cut with the strong finish uh with demar's kind of Olay defense at him and the flex in the face of uh oh not in the face of, but in the vicinity of Patrick Beverly's face. Um, Probably said some heck words then too. Um, No, I thought that like, you know, his, and and you can debate this as a, as a larger part heading into next year. Like his role was not enormous in this game. He was tied for third on the team in, in possessions used, um, which, you know, whatever, if you're, if you're in an all in must win game, maybe you think that's okay. If you're, if your talking point is we need playoff games for development, then maybe that should be a little higher. Um, you know, I hit a point in the season two where nothing was working late in close games, where I was like, let's see more from Scotty Barnes because like that's at least a little bit of an unknown or something that hasn't been tapped into yet. Um, but mostly I like the assertiveness. I thought he used his frame like super well on the offensive glass. Um, the Bulls are or have been since the trade deadline, a pretty good defensive rebounding team. They stay within their shell really well and uh, kind of everyone knows where to pick up. And because he was active around the basket shooting and active around the basket, active around the paint as a cutter, he was in position to tip a lot of balls and fight for position. Just kind of, you know, this is a Bulls team that's not tiny, but other than Vooch, like Barnes is the biggest guy out there. Right. And I, I thought he had a good recognition of that, carved out a lot of space for himself. Um, and there were a handful of times where like, certainly if we watch back those six or seven offensive rebounds, like Barnes should have had more than two assists because he was pulling those downs and kicking them back out. And, you know, you can't make the shot for your teammate, but you, you play those possessions out 10 more times and the shots probably go down six or seven more times. Right. Um, so I don't know. I thought like whole game, he was probably the one I was pretty happy with OG's game as well. I know he only shot two of six inside the arc. He got the free throw line a little bit. And um, obviously the defensive performance was, you know, what do you hold DeMar to? 10 of 19? Like, what are you going to do? And and I think like three of those weren't even with him guarding. Yeah, and like next to no free throws. And like with DeMar, that's pretty much what you're hoping for. Hold him around 20 and make Zach Levine, who's had a much more up and down year, be the guy that beats you. So, yeah, I, I, I liked Barnes's kind of, like he, it, well, he did what he's been doing like yeah. a lot since Pirtle came over, which is finding his moments. And yeah. also he's so like there, it's not always that he's dominant in what he's able to provide because of like ball skills matter a lot. So does shooting, but he's like a savant when he reads the four. And if yeah. you make a guy like that, a connector, which he was in this game, he just finds a lot of the right pockets as a cutter. And, and I think those skills are related when we're talking about cutting or passing on the, like in transition or on broken plays and offensive rebounding because it's that ability to it's that thing that is sometimes hard to verbalize for guys of like 
how do you track an offensive rebound? And like the funny Dennis Rodman meme from the last dance of like, he's like, and like the, the actual thing undercutting that is like Dennis Rodman is having trouble describing to you how he actually understands where an offensive rebound is going because it's something that he's just picked up from watching and playing so much basketball. And I think that's where, you know, you look at the stuff Scotty does so well as a playmaker in kind of freestyle scenarios, offensive rebounder, cutting into space, transition play in general, like those are the really exciting skill things because they're not weirdly, like they're not foundational things. They're not things a lot of young guys build, Mm -hmm. but if you have that, like the other stuff should be, easier to to package on and um i don't know so i thought i thought it was a good display of that and and then kind of what i was trying to get to was like not a like oh he wasn't scared of the moment and everyone else was but he didn't seem like oh that's a bad fall sorry we're watching the other game at the same time um but like he did not seem to care to the degree that others did that like it was a close do or die game with the game online like his his play did not really change his keel didn't really change throughout the game which is I think for a young guy, positive. That's something that Scotty, he's always, he's tough to talk to in media because like he's, he likes to keep it short. And Because you're a hater. Yeah. yeah. Um, I watched all his passes actually to hate on him, but couldn't do it because he was so good. But he, he, his response is typically like, I'm just playing the game. And he wants to talk about vocalizing. Like I've asked Precious about his reads as an offensive rebounder before. And it's maybe not even a fair question because it's like, how do you vocalize that? He just said, well, it's a read. And same with like Scotty too, is when you ask him about his performances, he's like, I'm just looking for advantages. I'm just looking to take advantage of stuff and make reads. And while that sounds like a a cop out for how he's positioned on this Raptors team, that's actually as a guy who doesn't shoot that much and can't provide spacing, he doesn't have like exit screens run for him. He doesn't get a ton of initiation possessions. It's just like a guy vibing out there until he sees something he can spam and like take advantage of. That's so his his performances look similar in that like sometimes he finds these different advantages, but in a game like today, it's sometimes they look a little bit more unique. It's just that he's always been finding it. And that's something that's been happening, I guess, more so towards the end of the year. Um, I guess his defense, what did you think about throughout the game? Yeah, I mean, it was a little up and down, and and I thought that was, I mean, I don't think anyone defended particularly well in the second half, and full disclosure, like, first half, my eyes were kind of on the OG DeMar matchup primarily, because that's where I thought there was the most, um, you know, it was the biggest kind of leverage matchup. Um, I thought the Bulls also did some, did them some favors early with all the Vooch pick-and-pop threes, um, where, like, obviously an open pick and pop three for a big with some shooting isn't a bad outcome, but wedgie. Um, But uh, the frequency with which they were willing to accept that early to mid clock early in the game, I thought helped the Raptors settle into their scheme and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. I thought overall Barnes's defense was a little more up and down than I would have hoped this year. I thought maybe the last quarter of the season or so it it reached the level that we would kind of expect and hope for from him. Um, you know, today I, th- I think he bounced around a little bit with Levine and then some of the some of the point guards and then even a little bit of time on Vooch. And I, n- I didn't notice many, um, you know, instances where he was at fault for something. I actually thought there were there were a couple scramble scenarios in the third quarter where he was like super active in the paint and like a big part of their collapse and help back out and making sure the defensive glass was taken care of. Um, honestly, def- the, the individual defense stuff is usually watch it back right and yeah. um but I, I didn't think anything was wrong with it it just was 
like a slightly above average game for him defensively. Would yeah. you think that's fair? Yeah, I think I agree for the most part. Like his his closeout technique is like way better than it used to be. And at the point of attack, I find that he he's less, I guess, likely to ride a guy and more likely to kind of give a buffer and let his length do the work. I think that that showed up against over the course of the season against Demar and Zach, mm-hmm. but also in this game too. The Raptors is a defense as well. You talked about being like heavy into the scramble and Barnes doing a good job of that. But also there was a stark contrast between Jakob Pertl, for example, between the first half and the second half where Jakob being a guy who was involved in all of these actions and the Raptors like doing a fantastic job of Xing out and always being there to recover. And it's not just like the X out isn't one guy away. It's like three guys away because if it's either you're going to get a turnover, which great, but if that possession keeps on going, you're going to have to keep on pursuing the ball until you find the part of rest in offense. And we saw the one with like an unbelievable 22 second possession. Then Zach used that one extra dribble underneath the bucket to beat the very last possible string, right? Like you have to, if you don't force a turnover and they don't shoot early in the clock, you're like, you do have to stay on that for 24 seconds. It's exhausting when there's that much talent on the floor. And also it's, it's tough to tell with like these types of critiques, like the one I'm about to make, but when the Raptors are placing Pirtle on Caruso during a possession and he follows Caruso out to the corner, that just, and then they get a layup out of it. It's like, that just seems like a complete misallocation of the, the players on the floor. How does that happen? Well, it's it, like, think about how, when the Raptors have been guarded well by other opponents in, in the playoffs in years past, what do you want to do with that, right? It's like, oh, Embiid's guarding like a, a forward type. Like, let's pull him away and get him out of the paint because even if that takes one of your guys out of the game, it's a it's a net win for the offense, right? If Alex Caruso is drawing your only rim protection out of the paint and Alex Caruso is a guy that if there are fewer than eight seconds left on the shot clock and he gets an open corner three, you live with that as a possession, right? Um, yeah, you can't be and, – and I don't know where that falls to scheme or where that falls to, you know, Pirtle was learning the defense on the fly and there is, you know, there are some areas you don't follow your guy out to. But, yeah, you're you're giving the offense a, an easy win there. Yeah, and, and, like, even defensively, like, we've had some critiques, but this game it's hard not to just lay it at the feet of the offense. A lot of the Bulls' offense was fueled by turnovers, and the Raptors, you hold the team to 109 points, you can win a game. Like, in the NBA, you can win a game for sure, especially the Raptors. They hit double digits from three. They had enough shots made in the mid-range and at the rim they have 400 free throw attempts. Exactly. And so seeing the Raptors not convert on enough laydowns at the rim, for example, like some stuff was left in the paint, I would say. They shot 14 of 26 at the rim. Yeah. Not good. Not good. So basically the easy stuff, the low-hanging fruit, this is something that maybe even in my preview, I maybe should have accounted for more in that conversation with Steph was that the Bulls were the number one defense after the All-Star break. They, As Blake said, it's tough to get them out of their shell. They want to be there and they want to, you know, even like Patrick Beverly blocking OG on a really nice lay down from Precious. OG went for a layup instead of a dunk and like he didn't elevate. Maybe if he elevates, Patrick Beverly, you know, fouls him. Jakob not being able to put everything in. Precious, it, it's just like guys at the rim is a tough thing to account for all the time. But the Bulls definitely were able to win that down the stretch. And that made it so that the Raptors, they had to go into a shot-making contest. Again, and 
they got fouled. They went to the free throw line. They missed those. And then it was just what, like who's hitting jumpers between Fred and Pascal and DeMar and Zach. What, what's the old saying? You're like a one-legged man in an ass kicking contest at that point. <laughs> it's not going to go well for the Toronto Raptors in those spots. It's, it's just tough. Like this game, the, it was in, it was in their hands. They, it was sloppy in the sense that some of the defensive possessions didn't go the way that they were supposed to, but I wouldn't lay it at the feet of the defense. I think it, it sits firmly on the Raptors not having as good a counter to a lot of the, the actions that the Bulls comfortably switched. If they're going to switch some of these guys, be it a small onto like their glut of wings, you have to be able to punish it there. But also, if you're going to switch a big onto a guard, you have to be able to mine that for advantage. Even even if it's not like Steph Curry versus Gobert hitting a three. And, you know, Fred did hit like a step back from a stagnant position, which was nice down the stretch to tie it at 100, I think. But it's just the Raptors didn't have a a schematic counter. It seemed like they were just kind of like running the same old stuff out there. They got into a really stagnant stretch offensively and then the free throws. Like once once it came down to shot making, um, the Raptors, you know, Pascal hit shots late, but he didn't hit his free throws late. And Fred, he hit one shot, but it's like, it's, it's just tough, man. And then they went to Gary late over Jakob for that shot making. And of course, he had a he had an overnight from three and maybe not a fair spot to put a guy in either of like you barely played tonight and you're cold and had a cold night. Barely um, played the rest of the seat like the late season. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, I mean, that's his role. That's what he's there for. He's supposed to be a guy who can come in and get hot quick. Um, but yeah, there's uh, it's not a secret that there's not a lot of half court juice on this team. Right. Yeah. So. Uh, any, I guess, ideas about this roster, why I have you here, why I'm hanging out, any, do you have any, like, let's, we pretend this is just like a regular weekly podcast, you're the guest. Yeah, like, we'll talk more about it in the coming weeks, of course, but familiarize yourself with the term bird rights trap, which is that having the rights on Fred, Gary, and Jakob all at once is unquestionably a positive thing, right? It, It gives you the chance to sign them over the cap. Um, and that's better than losing them for nothing. However, if you lose those guys, unless you lose all three and then tear down further, you're not, you have no path to cap space. You have the mid-level maybe to add. You have your first round pick, of course, which we'll see after this Thunder game if we're looking at 2.2% chance at Wemby or 1.1% chance. Um, that's that's where you're at right now. Um, not a lot of paths to improve the roster without looking to trade route and where the trap of the bird rights comes in is these agents and players know the situation you're in they know and gary and trent are represented by the same agency by the way they know if you it's not sign fred for 30 million dollars or go use that 30 million dollars on someone else because you can only resign that guy with bird rights to go over the cap you don't have cap space so where the trap comes in is all three of these guys know you either resign them at a price you can come to an agreement on, or you lose them for nothing. And even if you think this team should take a big step back, push it to the Scotty and Wemby timeline or Scotty and Scoot timeline, because um, one of those things will happen, of course. Uh, <laughs> Scotty and Amen Thompson, whatever you want to do. Um, even if you do that, it doesn't make sense to lose those guys for nothing. It makes sense to try to find a sign and trade or try to keep them and then revisit at the trade deadline because as we've seen in the post-championship era and it's been justifiable in each individual move is you lose a lot of guys for nothing in return there is a ton of pressure on that ability to 
draft talent later, find undrafted talent and develop it. And when that goes dry, you end up with a night where you trust one guy off your bench and even then only really in an emergency late. Yeah. The losing like Kobe Bufkin is a, you know, I know he's ah, like Bufkin. Yeah. He's, he's in vogue. Good morning. Yeah, I know a lot of teams have really started liking him lately. I know a lot of scouts who really like him, and he should be maybe around the Raptors. For but- the role models memes alone, it <laughs> would be worth the the Buffkin. Let's see, who's the other guy Raptors Twitter really likes? Grady Dick, the, yeah. the like draft people on Raptors Twitter. I Man, I know a lot of – well, also, for there's a lot of meme potential as well. There is a good amount of meme potential. In a, Give me Dick, summer in a, 2023. In a sports world where we had – uh, one of the greatest uh, Canadian sports media people tweet about being a big Bussy fan today, <laughs> un- unknowingly. Uh, yeah, there's some mean potential with Bufkin and uh, and Grady Dick and a bunch of other stuff. Um, no, this is like it is. It's it's weird because it's it's not a tough spot in that you have quality players that other teams would want and you have the ability to resign them. What's tough is that it's really hard to unless Scotty takes a leap by next year or you absolutely nail that draft pick, whether it's moving up in the lottery or just finding, you know, a Scotty at number 11. Instead, it's really hard to see how this particular group comes back better than this year. And this year was a a 500 team that lost by a bucket in the play. And, and traded away a first round pick to, to get here. I think. I want to talk about that. (laughs) So I'll, I'll eulogize in my own way because I was somebody who wanted them to keep this team. I know some people wanted this team torn apart, uh, you know, in, in November, in December. And and I understand why, like, I, I understand I saw that perspective. I wanted to give them a chance and Scotty a chance that the Raptors had a bunch of really good secondary players. Could Scotty be the guy who kind of pokes his way or, like, feels out maybe an early all-star berth, and then you go for that? And comfortably that didn't happen do do you think so i guess where this is kind of a black box part of it do you think or did you get the impression from watching this team game to game that this year's version of that team was invested in that idea or were they just trying to be as good as possible with these seven or eight guys because i don't i don't know that i saw enough of the like architecture tilt towards Scotty for me to believe that that was part of what they were doing. Like, I I think they came into the season thinking Scotty would play like a slightly bigger role of what he played last year. And like, that's fine if Pascal and Fred and OG all have good years and the Jakob thing works and and you, you know, don't have the injuries and the poor start that you have. But yeah, I I guess my biggest issue with it was they seem to toe that line of like, yes, maybe Scotty will develop. And because we have complementary pieces, all that'll work, but it's, not committing to either makes it really difficult for either thing to develop. Yeah. So and my my thought of it was that it's Scotty season three and that this season, okay. because one, one of the biggest, you know, this one of the biggest indicators of like having a, a positive record is carryover in like your rotation. The Raptors, they met Number that. One. Yes, they met that. They were supposed to buy. There's a reason I talked to, I did the outside looking in series before the season. I didn't meet a single person, talk to a single person who saw this as an outcome for the Raptors. Nobody, nobody really saw this coming. There's a bunch of personality stuff that has happened so far this season. That's less than harmonious in the Raptors locker room, in the organization. It's been a struggle to recreate the culture of the past. And especially since like, there's not as much talent in house 
and all the good vibes they they stopped they stopped being the team that was like greater than the sum of its parts and they were less than the sum of their parts in this season and so all of the positive because that's one of the biggest things is like put a, a really talented young player in an organization or a culture where like everything moves forward and it's positive and it's a great incubator to develop even if you don't meet the highest standard as a team for like winning a championship you get reps you improve it's a positive place to do so but the raptors i think increasingly have become a place where that's not the case and i don't think you have time to give scotty like well maybe he's the all-star in the third season now it's just so much stuff has happened that yeah also the two really high-end complimentary pieces are going to be 30 by the end of next year that's uh and one of them's about to get paid again and the other one gets paid big at the end of next season yeah. so like the the timeline is you if they if you run this back entirely like you have to be very very sure that scotty is ready for that jump and if you are and i think that can be a reasonable opinion i look at the last 20 games or so and ask why weren't you starting to lay more of that groundwork and get those reps in and see like even in like the fourth quarter stuff like I don't know you can't you can't hijack an entire season where you're in a playoff race just around a developing piece but if your entire idea is that the ceiling is dictated around the pace at which he can develop you push the pace you grease those wheels a little bit um here's a question for you and you kind of alluded to it a little bit with some of the culture and personality stuff was this Nick Nurse's last game as coach of the Raptors yeah I think this is Nick Nurse's last game as coach of the Raptors. I think that a lot of um, a lot of what people started hearing like three weeks ago has been bubbling up for some time. Uh, people, if you listen to this podcast regularly, I'm not like sourced out the wazoo like Doug, but I alluded to tons of stuff about Nick and clashing personalities and like I don't throw bold predictions around on the radio for nothing and a little before the trade deadline i said hey you know what would probably make sense an amicable parting of ways where another team really wants nick nurse and the raptors get out of the last year of his deal and everyone gets to walk away without the coach of the year and the championship coach being fired and everyone gets to end on happy terms and hug it out and say goodbye like this has seemed like a real possibility for a little bit and i think this this creates a situation probably where it's like 10 years down the road all the quotes are fantastic about what happened because <laughs> during the championship season and like, you know, you, you get to, for all the people like the drama of the NBA and the personalities clashing and everything like that, I think that it, that probably leads, if, if Nurse leaves the organization, you get to hear more stuff, more stuff comes to light. And in addition to that, like in 10 years from now, when they want to celebrate the championship or eight years from now or whatever, three, seven, whatever the hell it is. I think that, you know, you get to bring him back and there's no bad taste in the mouth for being fired. And as much as I've, you know, stressed this on a couple podcasts, but just because Nick presented it as if he was the one deciding like, well, maybe I decide I don't want to come back. I think that there's um, motivation from both parties as far as like, as Blake said, amicably moving on. As a money element, there's a like, at this point, I don't know that the Raptors can get a pick out of it. But a cut, like when I floated the idea a couple months ago, I was like, well, maybe you pick up a couple seconds. I doubt you get a first. I think Doc Rivers brought a first back, but generally it's been one or two seconds in, in situations like these. Part of it being like other teams know like, yeah, you don't want to pay that $8 million, that $10 million, whatever the contract is. Um, I just honestly, and like I, I wish the best for Nick if he's moving on or whatever, and, and I'll be interested to see what the Raptors do. Just 
please don't let this mess up the Canada basketball summer. It's uh, I, I know that I probably shouldn't care more about that than the Raptors head coaching position, but the Raptors just got eliminated. The next basketball that I'm heavily invested in is Canada basketball in the World Cup. So please don't uh, please don't disrupt that. Whatever's happening. I, I've always I've kind of wondered about that, like when when the breakup comes, because well, like Canada Canada basketball contract is through the 2024 Olympics. That's now, not that much longer, no, I guess. It's not, and it's like it's tied to the like the Raptors and Canada basketball have an organization or have a relationship, but like there are rules around how specific that relationship can be, and I don't think. I don't know. And I think to your point about like Nick being able to come back here and be like sainted in the city and stuff like that, because he did help bring a championship and was a very, very good coach or is a very, very good coach. Um, I don't know that that's quite this. And maybe it's only us like Canada basketball hardos that really care. But yeah, if you wipe your boots on the Canada basketball commitment on the way out, maybe it feels a little different. Yeah. It's, but maybe that's just like me and like True North on Twitter and stuff like that. <laughs> I think, yeah. Jonathan yeah, they need who, man, Jonathan does like such fantastic work covering Canada basketball. Same with Oren and Grange. I just think they like they do a great job. Um, you talking about them on radio with with Dan Shulman, giving yeah. them as much airtime as, yeah. as possible. But that's all Shulman, though. He just, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you want to come on and talk Jays? He's like, do I want to come on and talk Canada basketball? Yeah, of course I do. Yeah. Um, but I guess we'll see what happens. It, it seems like for these types of things you give it time not time with the organization like we've seen this happen with countless other you know um bad breakups in the nba and this is mostly players but you give it time like the the fan base is very charged against fred and to a lesser extent pascal but if fred does end up moving on in the summer sign and trade maybe it's maybe he just leaves whatever that looks like um when he comes back He's still the guy who guarded Steph and hit bombs. Yeah. And, you know, like drove different bloggers insane with like the insane <laughs> amount of shooting that he had. So there will be good feelings again at some point in time. But this is a bad feelings podcast for what it's worth. The Raptors, we've been talking in the abstract a little bit more, but they blew this game in an almost unconscionable way. Uh, Reggie Evans Award is given to the guy who most embodied a Reggie Evans type performance. I'm sure you remember them well. That would have been like the very start of your Raptors Republic blogging days. Yeah. Um, uh, who, who was it for you? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I guess Scotty with the six offensive rebounds. Um, no, like barely anyone played or played well. It's uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll go Scotty. Sure. Yeah, offensive rebounds is a Reggie Evans thing. Exactly. So we'll go Scotty. The top Cook reaction comment is from Chiznack. It's a long one, so everybody strap in. Quote, all that brand new fancy shooting technology at OVO and this team can't make a free throw. DeMar ain't even had a great game. I would have been fine if he cooked us, but this, not like this. By the way, what is Nick saying in these timeouts? Okay, team, I know I got on national TV and quit, but here's what I'm going to need you to do. Bruh, free throws. DeMar's, okay, I don't want to read that part. Um, this... <laughs> It's crazy how similar this game in the Wolves-Laker game was, and Finch was Nick's assistant, is choking part of the playbook. <laughs> Free throws! At least Precious went two of two, which was nice. See y'all next year with renovated team. Ah, yes, the Raptors will be like the Rogers Center, hopefully with renovations that you're like, hell yeah, this is cool. Um, <laughs> do, you have, do you have any thoughts on the top reaction card? I don't think Scotiabank Arena is getting any renovations. I think you want that to be... Uh... I don't know. What's the, what, is there an internal reno, renovation? Is that a thing? <laughs> Renovate your soul? I don't know. Was it, Masai did the culture reset buzzword uh, in like the second last Casey go around? They need Dwayne Casey to come back. Uh, he's <laughs> too busy. Uh, he's going to be at the hands of Drafton Wemby. Yeah. There. 
that's exciting for them. Yeah, that's a that's a cool move for Dwayne too. Like I like a bit of a raw deal there, but he did as like he did the job. He did what was on the roll. Like his whole thing back in the day was like roll cards. Like here are the two or three things that are on your roll card. If you excel at these, we could talk about adding more to your roll card. He got the roll card, which is build a good culture, help the young guys learn good habits under no circumstances win games executed that roll card exceptionally and now they're like yeah yeah you can add like gm advisor to your roll card if you want like uh no it's great uh there but yeah. well it's 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 impressive because it can go as sideways as possible we've seen it happen in houston mm-hmm. like if you don't win any games you're always losing and you have like these young guys having somebody to like rein them in I, Dwayne had one of my favorite pressers this season before the game where he was talking about like what that takes what that looks like how difficult it is to transition from coaching the Raptors where it's like you're looking at that ultimate outcome to coming to Detroit and having the one all NBA year from Blake and then immediately transitioning into what they've been doing for some time now oh my days Brandon Ingram just really sprained his ankle it looked mm, like great. Um, but anyway, Ooh. yeah, really crazy. We don't need the still frame of that broadcast. Yeah, nasty business. But regardless, the Top Coke actually comment about free throws and the Noah board. Um, I hope the Noah board helps somebody, but sometimes... Help Noah. <laughs> Nick Nurse is on the board at Noah. Anyway, um, I think... That was a, a Noah comment, by the way. Yeah. Bells and whistles sometimes are just that. Um, I hope I hope it helps somebody. But also, this is something like the Raptors have been using Noah for. Anyway, we the board the board is an aesthetic piece for the most part, and yeah, the board's new. the The coolest thing is like the the audio feedback on it. Of like you can turn it on, and if you're just shooting threes and someone's rebounding for you, like it'll let you know like how long you were, or like if your your arc was too high or whatever. The board is just yeah, fun. I don't know. That's like they let the data viz in turn go nuts or something yeah. yeah that's basically it i don't the raptors they have to be able to shoot better not only from the free throw line objectively well, as- here's the thing replace noah like that so noah talks back to you if you turn that on replace it with damar's daughter screaming <laughs> back at you as you're shooting free throws and <laughs> just brick i can't do the pitch but you get yeah, the idea. Yeah, yeah it's it's a very good motivator um i'm motivated to end the podcast here blake any uh final remarks before we get out of here we'll let you finish off the water it's a good time to be transitioning to the blue jays <laughs> beat for a little bit again i'm 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 contacting spotify to let me start a, com- a competing uh, blue jays podcast with you it's gonna be terrible yeah probably. <laughs> <laughs> um listener if you watch this on youtube make sure to like the video and subscribe helps the channel i will have Oh my God, so much draft content and end of season content for you coming out. Um, Starting with, I mean, tomorrow is the exit interviews for all the players. I will not be asking the salacious questions, but if they are asked, I will be writing about them. Um, And if you're listening to this on the podcast channel, um, thanks for tuning in. And lastly, since this is the last game of the season, I will say that to everybody who subscribed to the website, thank you so much. Um, The feedback was awesome it allows raptors republic to do things that we haven't been able to do before and as far as like providing good work we think we still do and we think it's as far as like the deep analysis of the team for example i don't know if anybody else give a four thousand word preview with like uh film 
all the analytics, everything that Lewis was able to do as far as like breaking down the different plays that allowed the Raptors to win small parts of the game. I don't know if anybody else has done that for the Raptors this season, some of the stuff that I did, and I'm not sure that every market has that done for them. This is what Raptors Republic provides behind the paywall. And um, and there's like a bunch of other good stuff too, like Jonathan Chen, who we talked about with his Canadian basketball writing. Um, a lot of this stuff coming up this summer will not be paywalled. It'll be a lot of stuff on the YouTube channel and the podcast channel, especially since I'm not typically a draft guy. I just have a really good eye for who are fantastic scouts and I talk to them. Um, you won't need to subscribe to get all of that stuff, but it still helps the it helps the website and helps us do everything that we want to do and need to do as you know an independent um, news site. So to everybody who did subscribe, thank you so much. To anybody who's on the fence, I implore you. And to anybody who's just enjoying the, the free stuff, I hope you continue to enjoy it. So thank you, everybody, for spending this season with me. I'll be back next year, and um, we'll spend more seasons together. I think it's through all the change and whatever stays still. Um, thanks for tuning in with me. And whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.